0: All right, so a couple of years ago, uh, we were doing a thing in our family where we were making these things called My Intent Bracelets. I would have brought it with me if I had thought of it in time. But basically, it's a bracelet with a little circle on it, and you stamp a word on it that is word or words that are meaningful to you. And uh, the way we did it was we went around and got, kind of got input from our family, and it was a great experience. It was really, I, I highly recommend it. But I had done mine ahead of time. And it was reflective of three words that uh, I felt um, the Lord had been speaking to me about. And uh, we sang a song earlier about joy. And joy was one of those words because I had run across a definition that I had never encountered before. But the more I thought about it, the more meaningful and uh, impactful it became to me. And the definition that I heard about for joy, and so joy was the, w- one of the words that I stamped on that bracelet, is the overwhelming confidence that all will be well. Overwhelming confidence that all will be well. Now, that didn't seem like a definition for joy for me at the time. Uh, but the more that I thought about it, the more I recognized that if you are going to be joyful, it certainly helps to have an overwhelming confidence that all will be well. When you, when you feel like you are secure, when you are safe, then it's much easier to be joyful, isn't it? It's, it's very hard to be joyful if you're agitated, if you're worried, if you feel insecure. So joy was one of those words, and joy is a good theme and ties in very well, as you just saw, from the idea, for the idea of security, which is what we're talking about in today's psalm, which is a very familiar, probably the most familiar psalm. Before we get into that, I want to remind you of of some of the basics of this series. We're now in week five, so I did a little bit of this at the beginning, at at the very beginning of the series, and I've kind of revisited it a little bit from time to time, but I want to go a little bit more, uh, get a little bit more specific and a little bit more precise. We've been referencing some of the pillars of our paradigm for reading and understanding the Bible over the last couple of, uh, in the last series, but kind of applying it, because this is kind of a lab. As we go through it, I want to point out to you how we're applying it. And one of the things that we said is what the Bible teaches is true, is true. And the key word for this pillar is the word unified, unified, because the scriptures as a whole are a unified body, they, uh, they are made up of a bunch of different pieces, 66 different books written over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years by multiple different office, uh, authors in different parts of the world even. Um, but the idea is that what we have is a unified work. So when you go to interpret a particular part of the Bible, you have to take that into account that it is a unified work. You can't just pull out a verse or sometimes even a particular chapter and and draw a biblical conclusion without taking into account. I mean, you might get it right from just looking at that particular verse or that particular chapter, but you have to put it in the context of the whole of scripture because the whole of scripture is a unified work. And therefore what the Bible teaches is true is true. And then we said that the, the Psalms are true to feeling. And when I say that the Psalms are true to feeling, I'm not putting that in contrast to what the Bible teaches is true is true. The Psalms are a part of the Bible, and so what the Psalms teaches is true is true, and the Psalms are true to feeling. What I mean by that is that you're going to, and, and how you pull this together with the Unified is that you're going to encounter certain expressions of feeling and emotion in the Psalms that, taken in and of themselves, aren't really what the Bible teaches. Like when we've looked at how uh, you know, there's the famous and and horrific example of the person say, you know, who are the really blessed people, the people that get to kill other our enemies' infants the way that they killed our infants. Now, does the Bible teach that's the ultimate in blessing? No, the Bible does not teach that. But in the psalms you see someone expressing that because that's how they truly felt at the time and sometimes often in fact we've seen this in the in the psalms that we've looked at you see somebody expressing something like we looked at the one where it says you know i i can't believe the it, the, the people that are really peaceful the people that have shalom they're the wicked people now at the end of the psalm the guy comes around, or the author comes around and says, you know, uh, that, that's, that's not actually the way it is. That's how I was feeling at the time when I looked around and I saw people who were far from God, throwing off all constraints, and they're the ones that are, are rich and happy and prosperous. Then it kind of caused me to shake. My feet almost slipped, he said. But does that psalm teach that the shalom of the wicked is, is great? No, no but that's how they felt at the time. So that's where I get the idea that the Psalms are a permission to be real. I had a very frustrating experience earlier in this week, and I was thinking about what I've been teaching you guys, and just in the context of praying through how I was really feeling and being honest with the Lord about it, that process helped me to come around and get his perspective on things. But I think sometimes, because we feel the pressure to always sanitize how we're feeling and sanitize our prayers and only say the things that we think God will approve of, sometimes we don't go through that process that we see in the Psalms of working through our emotions and being honest with God. And that's why I say that what the Bible teaches is true is true, and the Psalms are true to feeling, but you've got to look at it in context because as we saw in pillar number six, context is king. You have to take into account everything contextually, and that's what we see in the Psalms. So today, we're talking about what it means to be secure. And the question that we're asking is, how can I have peace in a dangerous and difficult world, in a dangerous and difficult world? Because there are things that are going to be thrown at you every day, every week, every month, just because you're alive in this world that, are, that make things dangerous and difficult. You are going to encounter those kinds of things. And yet, it's possible, according to what the Bible teaches, to experience peace and the kind of peace that we're talking about is not the peace that you have that's easy when everything is going well, when everything is going smoothly, when you're healthy and wealthy and wise and everything is just moving along as you would like it to be. But what kind of peace is available to you when you are in danger, when there are things you're worried about and they're legitimate worries? What kind of peace can you have when you are struggling when there's difficulty when there are challenges in your life is it possible to have that overwhelming sense that all will be well when not everything is well and Jesus talked about this, uh, one of my favorite verses, John 14, 1, says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I heard another pastor describe this as soul agitation, and I really liked that, that idea. It's like there are some times where you just, your soul is agitated. You know, you're, you're, you encounter a difficult person, you watch the news, you uh, have something that just didn't go your way at work you're uh, faced with an unfair situation, your, your heart, your soul gets agitated. And what Jesus is saying is you don't have to be in that state. And what is the antidote for soul agitation, for being troubled, for your heart's being troubled? It is trust. He says, trust in God and trust also in me. So today, What we're really talking about is the idea of needs, that what do you need in order to be safe and secure? What do you need so that your heart can be at peace, so that you can have joy, the overwhelming confidence that all will be well? And in this psalm, the psalmist is giving his testimony, He's telling his story. Sometimes being true to feelings is is not pretty. Sometimes we see in the Psalms people telling their stories about how good God is and all the blessings that come from being a part of his family. Or in this case, the metaphor used is that of a flock and a shepherd. And so... The theme of this psalm is this, that Jesus' flock lacks not. Jesus' flock lacks not. If you are a part of the family of God, if Jesus is your shepherd, you need no thing. All of your needs are going to be taken care of. And so at the end, as we practically apply this, what we're going to do is we're going to encourage one another to take our cue from the shepherd, and there are two aspects of that. Uh, One, reflecting the shepherd to others, and one is receiving what it means to have the Lord as your shepherd. So if you haven't guessed already, The psalm that we're looking at today is Psalm 23, which is probably the most famous and most well-known psalm. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, which will be a little bit different than the more traditional King James Version that you are used to or have heard before, but you will get the idea, and perhaps it will even strike you in a fresh way because we're reading a different translation. Psalm 23 in the New Living Translation says this. The Lord is my shepherd i have all that i need he lets me rest in green path meadows he leads me beside peaceful streams he renews my strength he guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name even when i walk through the darkest valley i will not be afraid for you are close beside me your rod and your staff protect And comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would speak to every heart. I thank you, Lord, for the personal first-person testimony of this psalm, that each one of us can know what it means to have you as our shepherd and to be a part of your flock. So I thank you for this, and I pray that you would drive that truth deep into our hearts today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we are right now on site, which is one of the options, and uh, then also right now, people are watching online, and they're watching last week, or if you're watching now, you're watching last week, which is this week for us, then it'll be next week for us, but online is a week delayed, and then also... Uh, it's available on demand and remember the fastest way to catch up if you happen to miss a Sunday on site is to subscribe to the podcast because that's the first thing that I post usually in the first part of the week and then later usually on a week delay the videos are available as well wherever you are experiencing Cornerstone what we are trying to do is inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly knowing that following Jesus makes life better, makes you better at life, and brings glory to God in the process. And we'll even see that in Psalm 23. And if you are watching online and you're new here, you haven't let us know who you are, I would encourage you to do that, to text the word new to our church number, 603-225-2550. We'll be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you and encourage you along in your walk with the Lord. So in Psalm 23... Starts out with, the Lord is my shepherd. And what we'll see is that Jesus' flock lacks not. He does, we lack for no good thing. Now, what I'm going to do with this psalm, because it's, it's so rich, there's so much in there, I'm really not going to be able to dive deep in in one, in one sitting. But I may come back to it, and we may go a little bit deeper. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the overarching themes and then go deep with just one little section that I think is related to it. So there are two main sections and two main parts. There's the introduction, there's the two aspects of what it means for the Lord to be your shepherd, and then some summary statements at the end. So let's look at what the two main themes of this Psalm are. The first one is that the Lord is our all-sufficient provider. The Lord is our all-sufficient provider. We see this in the opening line of the psalm, where it says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I have all that I need. Uh, I, I have no want." Usually, if you have need or if you have want, there's an object to that. You know, I need a cold glass of water because I'm getting kind of hot. I need the air conditioning to be turned on in my car. I need. But here, I love this because there's no object to this. I have all that I need. I need nothing. There's nothing, not, nothing that's there. Uh, I, I, I have, I will lack for no thing. I want, I have no want. Want what? There's nothing, no, no, nothing that's needed that I, I'm going to lack for. Now, Notice that it is the word need, and that's important. It doesn't mean that if the Lord is your shepherd, that you're going to get everything that you want and that he's just going to write a blank check. What he's going to do is take care of your needs. And sometimes our perception of our needs and the Lord's perception of our needs can be a little bit different, and we have to kind of work through that. But the Lord is our shepherd. I have all that I need. He is going to provide everything. And then you see that uh, he lists some of the basics there. Uh, He lets me rest in green meadows, talks about food. There's, There's plenty to eat. He leads me beside peaceful streams. I've got food and water. He renews my strength. He gives me the strength to carry on. So he gives me life and the basics that I need for life. So he is our provider. And then... In the second half of verse 3, it says this. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Uh, I, I really like this because uh, literally, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're used to hearing paths of righteousness. And that kind of has that kind of a religious sense and kind of, you know, you do the right thing. But it's literally translated more like this, the right paths. Well, what, what are the right paths? There are two aspects to it. What's the purpose of a path? It's to take you somewhere, right? So if you are on the right path, it's taking you to the place that you want to be. And there's also that religious ethical component to it that the Lord is going to lead you along the right path. You're not going to stray into the wrong path that's going to take you to a place that you don't want to go or that is immoral or unhealthy or whatever you want to say. So you can see how he's saying, if you're following the Lord, and Jesus said, as we'll see later, I'm the good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice. He leads us by calling us along the right path. So it's almost like following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life and brings glory to God in the process. As you are following him, it brings glory and honor to him. So first main theme in the first main section, the Lord is my shepherd. Summary statement, I have all that I need. I'm not, I'm not going to go without because Jesus' flock lacks not. Second main theme, The Lord is our ever-present protector. It's dangerous to be a sheep. There are all kinds of dangers. And what we see here is that in the dangerous and difficult life of a sheep, because the shepherd is there, they're protected. They are secure. Verse 4 says this, even when I walk through the darkest valley, this is something that I learned this week. We're used to being, that being translated the valley of death. And actually, the original word is a compound word of valley and death. Death valley is one word. But uh, it can be interpreted literally, and that's fine. But also, it's possible to interpret it as this compound word is just trying to intensify it. And so most modern translations do something like this, the darkest, deepest valley. Uh, it's one way that in Hebrew, you emphasize something, just like in another Psalm we see, uh, he pulled me out of the miry pit is one translation, but it literally says the pit pit. I mean, it's a pit pit, you know, so it's not a normal pit. This is a pit pit well this isn't just this isn't just darkness this is death darkness this is this is dark dark and that's what he's saying here that even when i'm in the deepest darkest valley And this is a literal experience for you if you are a shepherd or a sheep. When you are traveling from one place to another, from one pasture to another, then sometimes you have to go through these ravines. And we've all seen it in the movies. You go down into this deep, dark, scary ravine. There are uh, cliffs on each side. You feel very vulnerable. You're in danger. And he's saying when you are feeling that, when you are in those vulnerable places, even when I walk through the dark, dark, deep death valley, I will not be afraid. I don't have to fear. But why? There are, da- there are dangers all around. You don't know what's hiding in the shadows. You don't know what's going to happen with your next step. But you don't have to be afraid. I'm not afraid, the testimony is. Why? For you are close beside me you are close beside me so those are the main themes that if the lord is your shepherd then he is going to be protecting you he's providing for you and i said i would go a little bit deeper with this second aspect of the protection in verse 5 very next verse it says you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies we're more familiar with uh, another translation, probably, that that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, because of our mindset and our experience, I know for me, when I think about that, I think of a, a literal table. Uh, you know, what do you do on a table? You eat. You, you're, you're provided with food, um, but... Uh, You know, obviously sheep don't eat at a table uh, Not that I've seen at least And um, so I tend to interpret that metaphorically God God provides a a feast The shepherd provides a feast But he's not putting it on a table But perhaps it is on a table Because one of the authors One of the commentary authors pointed out That sometimes on a seasonal basis The shepherd Will take his flock up to a flat plain, a plateau, a mesa, or a, sometimes we call them tables, a big flat open elevated area where there's plenty to eat, where it's easy to see the dangers from far away because you're on this nice big open plain and that may be the picture that the psalmist is painting here of that seasonal trip where you go up and there's more there's an abundance of food and part of his protection is he's watching out even, even we know on the edges there are probably some predators out there and they're probably watching us but we're safe we are secure the Uh, One of the resources for this, and this is a great book to pick up, it's a great devotional resource. It's a classic called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, uh, written by a shepherd uh, who is also a follower of Jesus. And he looked at Psalm 23 from that perspective of his experiences as a shepherd. It's a classic. It was originally copyrighted in, in 1970, over 50 years ago. But in this particular chapter where he's talking about this, he's saying that the shepherd will go before... And because sheep, or especially lambs, are kind of like babies, you know, they put everything in their mouth, they, he'll go ahead and he'll look over and if there's anything that's unsafe for them to eat, he'll, he'll gather that up and clear it out. So he's preparing the table. He's preparing the land for them. And he's always going to be on the lookout for enemies because uh, wherever they go, they're in constant danger. Sheep are pretty much helpless against some of those dangers and so he's looking out for them he's pr- he's providing for them he's putting putting the food before them he's protecting them making sure that they don't eat anything they're not supposed to eat and they're not in danger and uh so there's are those two main themes and jesus flock lacks for naught we there if you if the lord is your shepherd you have need of no thing. And the the thing that I want to go a little bit deeper in is this idea found in in the second verse that the Lord provides rest for his people. The Lord provides rest for his people. In the first half of verse two, in the New Living Translation, it's translated like this. He lets me rest in green meadows. A lot of other translations and probably the more familiar one that you're used to is kind of like the... Christian Standard Bible, New American Standard Bible, both translate it like this. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He lets me lie down in green pastures. And this was the thing that the shepherd, who was looking at Psalm 23, went a little bit deeper in, and I'm going to just take you on the journey that he took me on. I thought this was was really cool. Um, Have you ever yeah, think of you know uh, your traditional picture of a sheep or a flock of sheep. Did you ever think about the fact you usually don't see them lying down? I mean, I you know you think of a cat or a dog; they're always you know resting, lying down somewhere. I, you, you don't think of a sheep, you know, lying down. You know, just a whole bunch of sheep out in the pasture lying down. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> there's actually a bunch of reasons, and this is what. Uh, what Philip Keller says in his book. Because of their very makeup, just because of who sheep are, it's almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. You, you, these, these are the basics. You have to do these, these four things before a sheep feels like it can lie down. There must be a de- def- definite sense of freedom from fear, tension, Aggravations and hunger Now let me, let me kind of tell you a little bit About what he says about this now, Number one, fear Because sheep are sheep you know, They're not exactly light on their feet They're not exactly the smartest animal They're not exactly the fastest animal So if there's a predator Going to come after them They can't be lying down They don't have time to get up and get away They got to always be ready To get away and so as a result, they're not able to be made to lie down unless they have a complete absolute sense of security or as he puts it, a definite sense of freedom from fear. Unless they feel f- safe and secure, they're not gonna lie down. And here the, 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 the psalmist is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I, shall, I, I have need of nothing. He makes me lie down. Well, just in that one little phrase that we just kind of whoop, gloss right over, there's so much meaning into that. For the sheep to lie down, they have to have an ultimate sense of security. And if you are a part of the Lord's flock, he's saying, This is what it means. This is what it's like to be a part of the Lord's flock. You have that ultimate sense, a definite sense of freedom from fear. The second thing is tension. And he's saying because of the social character of a flock, tensions can arise. I didn't know it, but sheep can be bullies. And when the shepherd is not around, they'll butt each other, you know, butt heads. They'll, they'll fight over territory. They'll bully other sheep. They, they're very ill-behaved from what he was saying. And so if that's, not only if you're a sheep, do you have to worry about the dangers from without, but if the shepherd's not around, there are dangers within as well. There are tensions and infighting within the flock. And so unless you are free from that, a sheep isn't gonna lie down either because it still has that sense of danger, the tensions in the flock, he puts their aggravations. What he's talking about are the different bugs and infestations and various things that, if you're a sheep out in the field, you're going to experience. And you, you know what it's like if you're outside and the little black flies or the mosquitoes are after you? You're not at ease, <laughs> right? Yeah, and there's a tension. And you saying that, you know, it's much worse for sheep. And, and if sheep have these infestations, then they can't lie down. They're always trying to deal with those infestations. And then lastly, hunger. Uh, if, uh, you know, a sheep has a sense of survival, and if it doesn't feel satiated and full and feel like my needs are taken care of, then it's not going to lie down. It's going to be keep, keep looking for the next meal. Now, what's interesting, and I think this is one of the most impactful, meaningful parts of this to me, is that he goes on to say this. The unique aspect of the picture, what picture is he talking about? The, all, all these things, the, the, the fears, the tensions, the aggravations, the hunger. The unique aspect of the picture thats that it is only the sheepman, the shepherd, that's his term for shepherd. Only the sheepman himself who can provide release from these anxieties. A sheep can't do that for themselves. They can't armor up or build a fort and protect themselves. And what happens when there are tensions within the flock is as soon as the shepherd shows up, they stop it. They behave. They stop misbehaving. They stop bullying and beating up on their brother and sister sheep. As soon as the shepherd is there, his presence, his authority, his power is what keeps the sheep in line and they begin to treat each other well. He goes into, the author does, the different things that the, that the, that the shepherd has to do to care for the sheep, to make sure that they don't have those infestations and all those kinds of challenges. And of course, he's the one that provides for the food. In order for the sheep, to feel secure to have the confidence that all will be well the shepherd has to be present and he has to be doing a good job he has to be a good shepherd and that leads us to a reminder of the third of our pillars in the paradigm that the bible as a whole is a mess, it's messianic literature it's the story of god setting things right through his son. So from the earliest time this is from the other book that I would highly recommend. This is the interpretation commentary on Psalms I've been quoting that quite a bit over the course of this series. The earliest Christians said the Lord is my shepherd and understood Lord to also be the title of Jesus. In John 10, 11, Jesus says directly, I am the good shepherd. They found him, the Christians, earliest Christians, this was their testimony, this was their story. They found him to be shepherd and guardian of their souls. When the Lord is your shepherd, when you're a part of his flock, you're gonna lack for nothing. He is going to provide for all of your needs. He is going to protect you. He is a good shepherd that cares for his sheep so well that they have the confidence to lie down in green meadows. And so that's why I always give an opportunity for you to say yes. How do you become a part of Jesus' flock? It's by saying yes. What are you saying yes to? You're saying yes to his forgiveness, that you want what he did on the cross to count for you personally. And you're saying yes to his leadership, his lordship, or his shepherding in your life. One of the things that the shepherd does is lead the sheep. And when you are a part of the flock, you follow the lead of your shepherd. So today, we've talked about needs. What we've said is that if you're a part of Jesus' flock, you're gonna lack for no thing, for not. And so how can we practically apply this in our lives. And I say, take your cue from the shepherd. I'm gonna look at this from two aspects. Number one, for us as Jesus' flock, as his sheep, there are going to be times and places where you're going to feel insecure, where you're going to feel like you have need, where your soul is going to be agitated. And so what we do if we're a part of Jesus' flock, is we lean into Jesus as our shepherd, that we can bring to him the needs that we have, and we can have that ultimate confidence that the needs will be met, that we will be protected however he sees fit, and that all will be well. Now, does that mean that every want, this is where the unified idea, what the Bible teaches is true, is true? This is a very personalized testimony saying, this is what it's like to to follow the Lord. Does that mean that everything I want is going to be mine? Everything that I consider a need, He's going to provide? Of course not. Does it mean that there aren't going to be times where uh, that security will be transgressed, where... Uh, there are times where you're going to feel unsafe. Well, yeah, there probably are going to be those times, but ultimately, you are secure. Ultimately, you are secure in the Lord. And whatever happens to you, you ha- can have the confidence that in the end, all will be well. That doesn't mean right, right now, in every single circumstance, is just going along swimmingly. Follow Jesus, your life is just a bed of roses. It does not mean that. That's why we have to look at it from the whole of Scripture. But the uh, psalmist is saying, look, this is this is what it's like, this is what it feels like. And I love the way he ends it. You think about sheep being in danger, they're always being chased down by wolves or cougars or whatever the case may be, whatever particular danger. And in the end he says, surely what's going to chase me down because I'm part of God's flock is goodness. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, chase me down for the rest of my life. So that's part of it, is to lean into Jesus as your shepherd. But also from the earliest days, especially in this culture, in this time period, the idea of a shepherd was translated to a leader, a king, or a God. And so we translate what Jesus is like, what God is like, what the Lord is like, and then we can use that as a cue for what it means to be a shepherd, a leader, a pastor, whatever position of authority or power you have. Here's the way uh, James Mays talks about it in the interpretation commentary. The primary duties of a shepherd's vocation were provision and protection. That's what we've been talking about for the flock. The sheep shepherd pastured, pastured the flock. He, he feeds them. He led them in the right way when they had to move. He is leading. So there's feeding, there's leading. He fended off predators. He protected them pastoral activities described in the psalm and I take the word pastoral to have a dual meaning. Pastoral as in the sense of a literal shepherd but also pastoral in the sense of pastoring or leading. The number one, I think, probably picture of pastoring, of leading in the Bible is the idea of a pastor and what does a pastor do? He feeds, he leads, he protects. You whether you realize it or not, probably have some kind of pastoral role. Any place where you're in authority, it's God's authority that he has loaned to you for the benefit of those under your authority. If you have power over someone, it's so that you can reflect Jesus, the good shepherd, to those who are a part of your flock, your family, your class, your coworkers, your employees. Are you feeding them? Are you leading them? Are you protecting them? How can you reflect the good shepherd to your flock? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being the good shepherd. Thank you that you provide for us, you protect us, you lead us. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to take our cue from you, to lean into you as a shepherd, to acknowledge you, to make sure that we're saying yes to you, that we are a part of your flock, not leave that as an open question. And then as we are a part of your flock to to take advantage of that, to, to put our trust in you so that our souls can experience the peace, the shalom, the joy that comes from that. And I pray, Lord, that as we think about the people that we have responsibility for, that you would help us to reflect you accurately to them, to be good under-shepherds to the people that you have placed in our lives and under our authority. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. So take a minute, gather up, combine your tables if you need to go over the talk it over questions and you can be released uh, at your tables when you are done. Thank you.